Let us turn in God's Word to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and read from verses 13 to 15 this afternoon. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Amen. So we continue in Christ's exposure of the Pharisees and the scribes uh, to the people. Christ is speaking publicly. This isn't in the, in the secret place, in, in a room to his disciples, just so only they can know. No, all the people need to know. He spoke to the multitude, as we see at the beginning of the chapter. And he has spoken of these men, uh, saying that although they, they do have a position, they did rather have a, a, a position of authority in the visible church, they were there as, as lawful office bearers and they were speaking still, they were still speaking uh, much truth. They, they held to orthodox positions on many things and so in, in what they said that was orthodox, they were to be listened to. Their authority not to be despised, but he said they don't follow their example because they say and do not. And that, that is really uh, a, a summary of what a, a hypocrite is, saying one thing and doing another. A hypocrite is an actor, someone putting on a show. <clears throat> and so these men also, as Christ has gone on, they, they loved the praise of men. And they even the good things that they did the righteous acts they did, they did to be seen of men. They weren't doing it because it was right or because it would bring glory to God, but so that they could look good before others. And so Christ exposed them and considered those things and that need that we have not to be, uh, to be seeking ultimately God and His favour and not, not, not to be putting on a, a show for men. Well, when Christ, and in the rest of this chapter as well, as, as he, he exposed, he certainly exposed the scribes and Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. He exposed them for who they were. But he does so so that we can also identify those who are like them today, but not only so, that we might look in ourselves, that we might consider ourselves. 
because this is not just a temptation for ministers, it's not just a temptation uh, for those with authority in the church or, or in any situation. Hypocrisy is, is native to us, as it were. It's a, it's a native and indigenous sin. And so we need to... We do need... And we can use these markers that Christ gives us to identify, to mark out in that sense those who are false teachers in the church today and to avoid them, but also to consider ourselves before God and that we might seek him in sincerity from the heart. So there are three things here that we'll consider uh, this afternoon through this chapter <clears throat> by way of summary there are seven woes seven times uh, Christ says woe unto you and uh, very often then woe unto you in these very words scribes and Pharisees hypocrites he also calls them blind guides he calls them fools he calls them vipers and serpents again there is a time as, uh, as I pointed out earlier in the chapter, there is a time for rebuke and, uh, and exposure in that sense to be spoken in very blunt, straightforward language, calling sin as it is. Uh, and uh, we all need to know our sin, uh, but that here we see even harsh language in that sense for those who are enemies of God and enemies of the gospel, enemies of, uh, of the gospel of Christ. These men had done and could do great harm in the church of God and they needed to be exposed and their mouths shut. That is what Christ shows us here. This is something of how it needs to be done. And so three things that we'll consider this morning in, in uh, when I consider these, uh, this exposure of hypocrisy across a number of sermons and just verses 13 to 15 this afternoon rather and three, three things we see God's kingdom shut up we see oppression and pretense and we see proselytizing so firstly God's kingdom shut up Verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. So hypocrisy shuts up the kingdom of God against men. That is, it prevents those who would enter into God's kingdom now and forever. It prevents them from entering. Now how is that? Well, notice what Christ says. For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. And then he explains. For ye neither go in yourselves. They shut up the kingdom of heaven against themselves. They had, they were hypocrites. And they had what the scriptures speak of as the hypocrites hope. They hoped that their outward show would be enough. They hoped 
that what they were doing and, and uh, their pleasing men would also please God and they would get there in the end. But <clears throat> as we read in Job, Job 8.13, the hypocrite's hope shall perish. It's a vanity. It, it is a, a fool's errand. The thought that the Almighty God, the invisible God, the creator of all things, visible and invisible, that the wool could be pulled over his eyes, that he could be appeased by an outward show while, uh, while the heart is far from him. It is a vanity. And so it is, a, it is an hope that, it, that will perish, the hypocrite's hope. And God says also, uh, in Job we read, chapter 13, verse 16, an hypocrite shall not come before him. This is why Job was so concerned uh, there as he spoke those words. He was concerned to be a man of integrity before God. That is why we see him at the end. He confessed his sins uh, and, and, and repented to God for when he had sinned. But the hypocrite thinks that their pretense will succeed. And so there we have, and what do we read earlier in Matthew? Christ describing the last day, and there are, <clears throat> there are men, there at the last day, who will be there saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? Did we not prophesy? Did we not heal? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not go, uh, run this conference? Did we not go to that place? Whatever it was, and yet Christ will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you lawless ones, I never knew you. But notice, they're still there at the end, self-deceived. The hypocrites hope, but it will perish. They hope for a good outcome, but it will not, and it does not. They shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Themselves first, they shut themselves out of the kingdom of God, but also, what does Christ say? Neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And so we can think of, in, in, the, the, in the Pharisees' case, while they had, uh, they did have a, a good measure of sound doctrine, yet they had enough uh, false doctrine, especially a false gospel, a, a legal gospel, if you're good enough, then you can get to heaven, perhaps even with God helping you, that, that uh, God helping us help ourselves, gospel so-called, they shut up the kingdom of God against men, against those they taught by, by, by showing them this is the way that you would enter the kingdom, uh, but also by their wicked living. By their hypocrisy, they shut up the kingdom of heaven against men because they were saying one thing and doing another and they were, they, they, they were showing they, they were saying this is acceptable they shut up the kingdom uh, as there they were at the, the turning point of the ages in that sense of Christ uh, Christ coming fulfilling all the pro promises and prophet prophecies and yet they rejected Christ who is the way into the kingdom of God the way, the truth and the life they denied the clear fulfilment of the promises of God in Christ, and so by denying Him and denying the true knowledge of God, they shut up the kingdom. They hindered men from entering the kingdom because they rejected Christ. They weren't. They should have been there as the teachers in Israel, with John, 
saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. If you want life, go to him. But they weren't. They were rather rejecting him and denying him and pointing men away from him. And so in Luke's Gospel we read this, uh, Woe unto you lawyers, so among the same, the same crowd, same group of people, Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. And so in rejecting Christ, they rejected life for themselves and for their followers. And you can think of what Paul says in Romans chapter 9. He speaks of how the Jews, Romans end chapter 9 and beginning of chapter 10, he speaks of how the Jews sought after righteousness, Israel after the flesh. They, they sought after righteousness, but they didn't find it, they didn't attain it, because they weren't seeking it by faith, but by works. They were trying to earn God's favour. They were trying to, uh, to bring their own righteousness to God. And so they missed it. They, they missed the true righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And so they shut themselves out of the kingdom of God and their hearers. And not only as we think on uh, the Pharisees and and. Uh, the scribes, not only were they by, by their false doctrine leading, uh, shutting up the kingdom and, and uh, by their rejection of Christ, but also they were following this up by literally excommunicating true followers of Christ, true believers in Christ. And so we can think of uh, the, the, the blind man who was healed by Christ in John chapter 9. And uh, when he came to uh, the leaders of the synagogue and, 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 and was speaking to them of Christ and, and how this showed Christ was from God. They, they shunned him, they excommunicated him. And Jesus warned his disciples later on, those times will come, chapter 16, when they will put you out of the synagogues and even put you to death, thinking they do God service. You can think of we want to think on examples uh, of the kingdom of God being shut up against men themselves not entering in neither suffering others to enter in uh, one great example in the history of the Christian church is the Roman Catholic Church and particularly in, in the increasing darkness and the rejection of the true gospel and, and the the heaping on, on, on top of the Word of God, all the traditions and ceremonies and, and all these ways that men could save themselves or be saved by the church by, by means of these things. But these things culminated in a sense uh, at the time of the Reformation when the, the, the true gospel was brought to light, the gospel of faith in, in Jesus Christ, justification by faith alone, and in response to that, what do we see? Just as the, the, just as the Pharisees in response to Christ and, and uh, those trusting in Him in fulfilment of the promises of the Word of God, they put them out. They, they, they uh, declared them cursed. And the Bible says in the first century those, there were those 
This was the situation. They called themselves Jews, but they had become the synagogue of Satan. The time of the Reformation, there is this branch of uh, the, the Christian church that well, had been at some point uh, <clears throat> joined to the visible church, yet by the time of the Reformation we have that the gospel and those who believe the gospel of justification by faith alone were declared accursed, anathema, and, uh, to, uh, and under damnation. And that is an indication of uh, that which was uh, part of the church being having become a synagogue of Satan. But uh, here, in terms of the hypocrisy, hypocrisy shuts up the, shuts up the kingdom of God against ourselves because we're thinking we're going along fine we're putting on a show and that's our hope but it is vain and so we shut ourselves out of the kingdom of God and when this is when there is this example given and when this is taught particularly when when there's a false gospel taught effectively works then we shut up the kingdom against others Scripture that comes to mind in, in thinking on these things, particularly for ministers, but it applies to each one, is of Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, where he says, Take heed to thy, unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. See, doctrine is important. The Pharisees had had some sound doctrine. But what they were not doing was taking heed to themselves. And what Timothy needed to do and what what, uh, each and every minister needs to do is take heed to himself, to his own heart and to the doctrine. And that's for his own salvation but also for the salvation of those that hear. Because if he is living as an hypocrite, and if he is showing that that is the way uh, of, uh, into the kingdom, then he shuts himself from the kingdom and also shuts the kingdom against others. Not only for ministers, but for other officers in the church, for those also older in relation to the younger, in our families as parents. As grandparents, take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. So hypocrisy, God's kingdom shut up. But then secondly, oppression and pretense. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. So there are two things here. Uh, Oppression, for ye devour widows' houses, so taking advantage of those vulnerable and those in need, uh, and the pretense, for a pretense making long prayer. But here... And so often in the church we see these things belong together that 
So often when we see oppression in the church, so we're not talking now about in society and those who prey on the vulnerable in that sense, but we're talking about in the visible church and those particularly leaders, teachers, ministers in the church who, who use their religiosity, who put on a show in order to oppress the, the poor and needy, that they have that pretense and they put on that show of godliness in order that they can devour widows' houses, that they can take away their substance, that they take advantage of them. The Pharisees have already been exposed as those who put on a show of religion to be seen by men, to be praised by men, but also to be rewarded by men, not only with words, but but with goods. And this was not just the the Pharisees. Uh, We we are often warned about this in the Scriptures and through the New Testament, particularly in 2 Timothy 3, verse 6 and 7, as Paul described to Timothy, those in his day and through the last days that he ought to be aware of, he speaks of those who, who have a form of religion but know nothing of the power of it. He says in verse 6, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly, wit- silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he's speaking, Paul speaking there, of those who go from door to door, who go from house to house, and they identify in that sense those who are vulnerable, those who are wanting company, those perhaps who are looking for in the church, who are looking for for truth and for instruction, for help and for encouragement, for a listening ear, but they're going to them to lead them astray. And they're going to them so that they can devour their houses. Now this can look like, you know, when we think of devouring widows' houses, that we can think of it in the extreme. Confiscation of property. Uh, think of the, the wickedness of, and that's in a societal sense, but of, of how Ahab and Jezebel dealt with Naboth and, and the conniving, the wickedness to, to gain his property. But we can think of in in terms of what Christ is also speaking of here, those uh, charlatans, uh, and, and and it is television evangelists, uh, as it were, that have made themselves that reputation of being after the money, wheedling themselves into people's hearts, uh, promising uh, wealth and prosperity, if only they would give more. But we can think of those who would, devour the widow's house by taking advantage of their hospitality in that sense or working their way into their you know, into their affections and into their purses and this is by way of a show of godliness by clever words, by orthodox words by pious actions particularly here mention is made of a, a pretense of long prayer 
But as regards this oppression and the use of you know, a show of, of godliness in, in, in gaining from others, this is why there are many warnings in the scripture as to who would teach, what kind of men should we be looking out for and uh, who should be, after examination, put into office in the church, whether as elders or as deacons. Uh, those who are not greedy of filthy lucre. They're not, they're, they're not those, and, and, and looking back in language used in, in the Old Testament as well, who, who have covetous eyes. Who, they're not there in it for themselves. If we uh, <clears throat> look over in Titus chapter 1, there's a, a contrast there. We're, we're told what is that character what kind of man are we to look for to be a bishop, an overseer, or an elder in the church? Chapter 1, verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. And that means he's not after the money, certainly not uh, by illegal means, but also not seeking his own uh, uh, unlawful gain or advantage in that sense. But if we look further in the chapter, that's what that's what the bishop, the elder, must be like. What he, what he must be like, what he must not be like. But then goes on, in verse 10 and 11, to speak of those who need to be opposed. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So we have to understand that. that there, there is that, that, that uh, inclination in men to seek a name for themselves, to seek fame, to seek disciples for themselves, but also to be seeking their own advancement in terms of the things of the world. And just one other passage on, on this matter of, of what God does require in the church of those who would who would teach, who would govern, who would serve. And that is in First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, and verses one to four. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And so there is that warning, not for filthy lucre. And uh, we have the example, the negative example of the Pharisees and, and scribes and their using their religion, their show of religion to gain for themselves. But we're also warned, we're warned in terms of that aspect of, of, of oppressing the people of God and, and taking from the from the vulnerable and using religion to that end, but, but also against hypocrisy in, in our religion. 
So, so Christ says, for pretense, they make long prayer. That is, they pray long, and this is before men, it's in the public, it's public prayer, and they're doing it so that they can receive a reward from men, so that men will see how godly they are, how articulate they are, uh, how how close to the Lord they seem to be. Well, what does Christ has already addressed this, and as we considered last week from chapter six, they were doing these things to be seen of men. And what does Christ say? Verse two: Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. If that is your motive in making long prayer, and if you're doing that well in a sense, if you are articulate and uh, sound pious and so on, and men think, those hearing think, that you are godly, that's your reward. You get their thoughts. And perhaps you get their money. The money from the widows in that sense. But... That is all you get. Because Christ says, if that is you, you receive greater damnation. It's an aggravation of sin. It's a sin to, uh, to not believe in God. The Bible speaks of the obedience of faith. It's our duty to believe on God. It's a sin not to, but to, to pretend that we do and to go to lengths, literally even in terms of prayer, to, to show how much we believe and how godly we are when we don't. It is even more heinous and there will be greater damnation. Those to whom more is given more will be required. Luke chapter 12 and verse 47 and 48. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. To whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. And so there is a warning to us here. Obviously to do with prayer and public prayer, but it applies to any area of religiosity, of, of religious action. How easy it is for us to put on a pretense. The temptation, perhaps, is greater for the minister at the front. But it is there for all. That we would be thinking not on God and what he is due and seeking to give him glory, but thinking on how we are perceived thinking on whether we are, not whether we are being attentive and seeking to give attention 
but whether we're looking attentive. Not on whether we are in the fear of God and seeking His glory, but whether it's whether we're looking reverent. Not on whether it whether we are singing mindfully, word by word, and and. and bringing an offering not only from our lips but from the heart to the Lord but whether, but how others hear us and, and perceive us these are real temptations and we need to reckon with it we must beware of cold hypocritical self-serving acts of worship we must seek grace to preach heartily to, to listen attentively to sing with grace in our hearts, to, to pray mindfully. Woe unto you hypocrites, Christ says. Then also one, one further thing concerning long prayers. Christ says here, for a pretense they make long prayer. Now prayer is necessary. It is vital. Prayer is vital to the very existence of, of the Christian. Without prayer, there is, if there is no prayer, it shows there is no life, no spiritual life. Prayer is, as it were, the, the breath of, of the Christian life and, and to growth in the Christian life, how necessary. And there are examples in Scripture of prayer of our Lord and, and, and of his, his followers through the day and through the night. Long prayer. But what we have to understand in that regard is that most of the time when it speaks of long prayer, that is in the secret place. There are times when it speaks of God's people gathering together in continued prayer. Uh, we, we read of in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra on the day of fasting that they had, that for a quarter of the day they were confessing their sins. And so we would understand by that quarter of the day, probably of the daylight hours, is three hours of of coming together and men leading in prayer, confessing their sins, the sins of the nation, of the church. So there is room for prayer, for long prayer in, in that sense, but we must beware of motives again. I think this is helpful from Matthew Henry. Christ doth not here condemn long prayers as in themselves hypocritical. Nay, if there were not a, good, a great appearance of good in them, they would not have been used for a pretense. But the Pharisees' long prayers were made up of vain repetitions, and they were for a pretense. By them they got the reputation of pious, devout men that loved prayer and were favourites of heaven. Again, how we must beware, and, and for those of us, uh, who would be leading in public prayer. And so we must be careful of our motives. Where are we seeking our reward from? Is it from men? Or is it from our Father in heaven? We must be careful of vain repetition. We must be mindful of those following with us in those prayers. Also, as regards length, we must... Uh, uh, an evaluation for ourselves uh, we must be careful if if our prayers in public uh, whether that be in 
in a, in, in a public prayer or in family worship or when we're with others, if they're longer than our prayers in the secret place, it's not the way it ought to be. So oppression and pretense. But then, uh, thirdly, proselytizing. Proselytizing. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. So what is a proselyte? It uh, is a word that is still used today, but, but not generally in common speech. In the New Testament, uh, we, we, we come across proselytes from time to time, and they were converts to, uh, the, true, uh, to, to, to the Jewish religion, particularly a Gentile convert uh, to Judaism, uh, a newcomer. And so on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, we read of those from from many different uh, Jews, from many different nations, and proselytes were there as well. That is, there were Jews who had come to the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem uh, in obedience to the command of God. Jews who had been scattered uh, through through that part of the world. But there were also Gentile uh, converts to Judaism who came with them. In the early church, in uh, uh, there in, in, the, in the first century, century, uh, we read of uh, uh, in, in Acts chapter six. There are the deacons, those seven men set apart for the waiting on tables, uh, the office of deacon uh, established there. And there was one of them, one of those seven men, was Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So he was uh, not a Jew, but a believing Gentile, and not only had come to Judaism but had come to faith in Christ and so Christ says here you hypocrites you travel to all these places across sea and land to make one proselyte to make one proselyte we'll go on to what he's like in a minute what's what's the problem here does Christ condemn Mission work, does Christ condemn those who travel over sea and land to bring the truth and to seek the salvation of sinners in many places? Not at all. And we find Christ, don't we? We find him in Old and New Testament as the king and head of his church sending out his prophets and his apostles and his ministers abroad and also his people as they go, uh, as, as, they, as they are scattered in times of persecution, going, taking the word with them. And we see men, we think of Paul, taking, going, compassing sea and land to, uh, to bring the gospel of Christ. Uh, he's not condemning uh, missions, mission work as, as we speak of it here, overseas mission work. Uh, they did these things to make one proselyte. Now does Christ condemn proselytizing. Now proselytizing and, and, uh, is a bit of a dirty word today among many. There are many uh, also in the Christian church, certainly in the world, who, who hate the thought of proselytizing. 
And uh, the basis of that hatred is because they, they ultimately re- they, they hate God, they reject the truth that Christ is the only way to God. And so they say, well, there's so many different ways to God, and there's the Hindus and the Muslims, and there's these ones who call themselves Christians, and those ones who call themselves Christians, and, and who is anyone from one particular group to, to say that someone else has to join them to go to heaven? Because we're all getting there in the end, or to heaven, or whatever else they want to call it. And, uh, and also, this is increasingly, and particularly in the last century, come into uh, the visible church, uh, and uh, in, a, in a liberalism, uh, where, where there is this denying of Christ as the only way to God. And, and that includes also, there are those uh, in, in Protestant churches who will say that, that there shouldn't, we, we, we shouldn't be seeking to proselytise Roman Catholics because they're really just, uh, they're, they're all Christians as well, just holding to different views on things. And so there's a rejection of what's called proselytising. But really we need to see this uh, for what it is. Proselytizing is preaching the gospel and seeking that, that men everywhere, men and women, and boys and girls, will be converted to God from whichever nation that they are in. And so the problem is not proselytizing. That is what the commission that God has given to his church, to go to all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations. And that making disciples of the nations... Well, it, 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 there's, there's impact on the nations as nations, but it includes all the members of those nations and the gospel to be preached to them, that gospel of uh, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. No, the problem is not the travelling, the problem is not the proselytising, the problem is not the zeal, the zeal of these men to compass sea and land, to make one proselyte. They had the attitude what Christ is saying here it doesn't matter it, it, it doesn't matter if only if, if only one person believes and comes uh, into uh, the Jewish religion because of what we are doing it's worth it that was their attitude and ought that not be our attitude as we we do seek to be effective for the Lord in our lives and and, and in the preaching of the word but also if, if as we are going out as we are as, as the word is preached, as there are recordings made and that, that is put out before the world in that sense, when there are tracts distributed, when, when there is a, a, a literature stand at the shows and, and the word, the Bible's uh, ta- held out and, and taken, if there would be, even if there would be believers who would be encouraged in their faith, if there would be sinners who would take up that word and read and, and go and hear the preaching of the word and be converted to the Lord. That would be worth it. We would be praising God over that one sinner who repents. It's not the zeal that's the problem. The problem of the Pharisees and the scribes was not their zeal, not their going, not their proselytizing, but uh, their lack of knowledge. They were taking, uh, as, as Paul says of the Jews, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And because they weren't going preaching Christ, because they were going preaching salvation by works, because they were going with their hypocrisy, 
They were not making true disciples. They were making, rather, they themselves were the children of hell. They were children of their father, the devil, as Jesus would say elsewhere, who do the lusts of their father, and they only, they only begat more of the same. And so we must beware, and, and, and there is this, there can be this, this issue with the missions in that sense of, uh, of pride, of seeking their own name, of seeking, uh, seeking their fortune for themselves. We must beware of those things. But it is the problem of promoting not the true religion, but a false religion. We can think of those who, even in our society, those children of the devil, and we have to call it such, those who deny that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh because they not deny that he is the Word, the eternal Son of God, those so-called Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower people, whatever you want to call them, who go about, and I know in recent times it's been a bit more limited because of uh, different restrictions, we can be thankful for that, but uh, in, in, in God's providence, in terms of their perhaps influence, but they are going about, we see zeal, we see these Mormon missionaries come and do their two-year stint here and, and in different, different nations, we see zeal, but it's motivated ultimately by seeking to save themselves, so they shut up the kingdom of God against themselves and against men. And if there are any that they do deceive and bring into their, into their cult, they make them twofold more the child of hell than themselves. That is why we cannot wish them God's feet. We have opportunity to engage them. We must not be even giving them the understanding that, the, uh, that, that, they, that they are Christians, but showing them the reality of their situation, even as Christ did for the Pharisees, for the scribes, and not only them, but, 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 but others like them. We might admire the zeal, we can perhaps learn from the zeal, be rebuked by it ourselves for our lack of zeal for the things of God, but it must be the truth. So Christ here then, he begins to expose, continues exposing the Pharisees, he speaks of their hypocrisy, that we might beware hypocrites. When they say the truth, Receive that truth. Prove all things by the scriptures. Hold fast that which is good. Don't follow their example. They shut up the kingdom of God against men. They make a pretense of religion for their own ends. They proselytize their zeal there. But it is not according to the truth. And it is not for good. We continue next Lord's Day, uh, some other aspects of, of these things of hypocrisy. May the Lord help us to be seeking Him in sincerity from the heart. Amen. Well, let us now come to God in prayer. Let us stand up for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we tremble as we come before thee. 
I would tremble, O God, as one that thou hast called to, to lead thy people in prayer and ask for grace that it would not be a pretense or in hypocrisy, but rather seeking thy glory. And O God, that thou would hear us for Jesus' sake, that thou would enable that we would be, we would be those who are seeking thee in truth, who are drawing near unto thee not only with our lips and not only in actions but uh, with our hearts. We ask for grace to be realising the temptations that we have uh, to hypocrisy and uh, to a show of religion and rather to be seeking thy mercy. We ask through Christ. Amen.